This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 76 Tournament Update Knockouts. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. All right, now Matt, can you name that song? Yeah, no, I cannot name that song. That's an that's an extra inside. Who owns that song? And who wrote it? Who was like, you know, who was like pitching it to the what? That's a Phil Collins joint. Yeah, man, don't you know? That's Phil Collins. Phil Collins was like, no, I've got it. This is gonna be for sports. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it's actually uh, Phil Collins is more proud of his work with that than he was w- with Genesis. A lot of people uh-huh. don't know that. He's like, Which, man, he's like, this two, is the order: Tarzan, the yeah, Sports Tarzan Center thing, <laughs> Genesis. That's it. It's weird how many Phil Collins references there are in Twilight Imperium. Is that weird to anybody else but me? Uh, well, there's actually none. Technically, there's Genesis and there's the Phil Collins ship. So oh, two. oh, I forgot. Okay, so Genesis is there. I I will give you Genesis. I won't say that the Phil Collish morphing into Phil Collins is not good. Like that's not good comedy writing, and that's not that wouldn't be fun. That's funny to us because I'm like we're, we're forcing it to happen. Like we're making it happen. Uh-huh. But if Twilight Imperium was like a like a big cultural thing that everybody knew about, and you like went to an open mic and was right. like, "Hey, what about Phil Collins? Phil Collish? What about Phil Collins? <laughs> right? Genesis? Right? You Do you guys get it? Yeah, people would be mad. People would be like, "That's not good Twilight Imperium humor, which is like <laughs> a whole genre of comedy in this world, you uh-huh. know." And then you're like, "Can I? What if I give you some trade goods? Then will you laugh?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure, four trade goods." And That's like, hilarious. What about three? Four trade goods. <laughs> That's hilarious. You get four trade goods. All right. Well, what if I just give you my trade agreement? No. Laughs, laughs later aren't good for me. I need laughs now. I need the laughs right now. Imagine no, a true. world where everybody has like that works on promissory notes that uh-huh. you are then trading to each other. That I mean, sounds that's great. Kind of, that's kind of what credit is. Sort of. I guess, you know, that's sort of what money is now that I think that's about what it. money is. They're sort of, pro- they're promissory notes of a sort. Right. I just think it would be funny if I could give someone a card and be like, this is my political secret. So now I will, be- if you play this, I can't talk. In a way, that's what college is, right? You you get the education, but you do pay for it later. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, By the way. I-, I haven't paid for mine yet, my college. <laughs> And I'm wondering if I'm ever really going to do that. I, I, I mean, I hope the government doesn't listen, but I'm, I'm trying to you avoid have made it. Some payments, right? Or you've never made a single payment. So here's what Is happened. That what you're saying? Here's the Whoa, thing. We're get, boy, are we diving off the cliff? So, so I'm pretty complicated tax-wise, and depending on where you catch me in the year, I make somewhere between not a lot of money to no money. 
And when you catch me at no money, technically uh, I don't have to pay for my student loans. And guess when I am in the mood to do my student loan paperwork? <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm picking up what you're uh, laying down. I'm talking about income-based repayment plans. Turns out Hunter is part of the Gambino family. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Gambino family. Childish Gambino is that you're talking about? That's my dad. That's my daddy. I'm even more childish. My daddy was in a Star Wars movie. And I was like, dang, daddy's up there on the screen. Uh, we have to get out of this intro. It's been five minutes. Uh, Do you remember really... that Derek comedy sketch where uh, that guy <laughs> is? Uh, it's not. It's not Donald Glover, but it's. Uh, it's. It's the other guy's really funny. I forget his name. I'm sorry. Uh, but he's like his daughters are being kidnapped, and he just has like all these daughters, and it's kind of framed yeah. like a 24 type thing. Like yeah, yeah. he keeps getting phone calls from terrorists that have his daughters. Have his daughters. That's a. That's a funny sketch. Yeah, but the funniest Derek comedy sketch is still Thomas Jefferson, forever and always. That's maybe the funniest Wait. YouTube sketch ever made. Oh, I don't know if I remember how that look was. Up, look up Thomas Jefferson by Derek Comedy. It's Thomas Jefferson as an immortal being, and he's in a he's in a crappy uh, like jam band, and it's the best sketch that's ever been written by any YouTube comedy group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. I remember this. Um one one little quick thing about Derek Comedy before we oh move my on. Gosh, if, if, what if, are we doing? If, if any of you guys are, if you, any of you guys have have remember that sketch group or whatever, and you live anywhere near Los Angeles, uh, they actually everybody in that group except for Donald Glover because obviously he's too big. They do a show every Sunday night in L.A. at UCB Franklin called uh, Dirty Jobs. It is one of the funniest shows I've ever seen, and you should go see it. All right, that's been go. Hunter's Comedy Corner. Let's get to the feature presentation, <laughs> Space Cats, Peace Turtles, a show about a game. Uh, so you've been hearing his his voice and his laughter this whole time, but we have not introduced oh, yeah. Luke joining <laughs> us again. Hey, hey, Alec, how's it going? Welcome to the show again. What's up, funny boys? <laughs> Special uh, guest. We, we're here today because we're going to talk about the knockouts, the semifinal knockouts rounds. We are officially set and ready for the final game oh, of the Patreon God. tournament. And so we've got three games to cover today to talk about the, the, the last three contestants to make it to the finals. Uh, so that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to, this is spoilers from here on out of the last three games. If you want to watch the games, which in the prelims, it was like, oh yeah, maybe you watch them. Maybe you don't. The semis were all great games and these knockouts, you, you should go watch these games. The knockouts were channel. awesome. The knockouts, the knockouts were, were amazing yeah. through and through the like some of the most fun I've had like with TI and I was just spectating and yeah. it was like yeah. some of the best games ever. Yeah. So yeah, really good. go watch these games. But even if you aren't going to, you can you can stick around and check things out. And, and sometimes, you know, it's the same way I watched or I read Game of Thrones. Right. I knew everything that was going to happen. And then I read it. So you're, you're going to we're, we're going to read you all of this today and then you can go watch it and have a better understanding. Uh, so let's start talking about knockout games. What yeah, are you going to say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we're going to start with knockout game one. Uh, so just just to get things settled, of course, we, we introduced the knockout map a few weeks ago. It's a five-player map with a warp zone. And uh, we had Panster as the Barony of Letnev in the Meat Lovers Slice. We had Green Flame as the Federation of Soul in Dave's Dutch Oven. We had Gigawatts <laughs> as the L1Z1X inside of Leonard Nimoy. 
We had Jaynor as the Emirates of Hakan in Brent Spiner. And then we had Seven as the Ghosts of Creus in Evera Forever. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I want to do something uh, at the top of all of these games. Um, sure. I want, do you, so I, and actually, I don't know if you guys do this, so maybe, maybe this won't work for everybody, but I always, whenever we sit down to watch these games, I always have a feeling in my gut, like I know who's going to win. And it's, I, it's not right a lot of the time, but I'm just curious with these, with all of these games, uh-huh. all five players like could have won very very and i mean that's been pretty much true of the semis like regardless but it very much felt that way in in each of these games and i'm just wondering who did you guys have in your gut going into this game is like i think this person is gonna win um do you know i mean do you have that i mean i guess maybe i should go first because i do have. i think we both do i mean i think a lot of us do because there's 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 one player in this group that has played a lot more TI than the others, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just more known in the community. So when you just by by being known more, I think Seven was kind of the favorite to win. Yeah, and, um, and for me, it's not even just that. It, it's it's not just being known, but the his the sheer number of games that he's played. Like, yeah, he yeah, just has yeah. so much more experience than right the vast majority now of that's not to discredit i know Janor has a lot of games under his belt as well uh i'm i'm pretty sure panster i see on the tts discord quite a lot um but but just seven is like so far above it, it felt like he was in every game every day oh yeah for yep. for like months, months at a time yeah yeah uh well I, uh, I and i totally get that uh and i think that uh that that yeah, that totally makes sense. But for some reason, in my uh, gut, I thought Panster was... I don't know why. Yeah. I was just like, I think it's Panster. I think it's because right. his prelim game... I forget which one it was, numbers-wise. Kind of want to pull it up. Um, sure, I'll, I'll look. You, you tell your story. I'll look. Yeah, so, I mean, he just, like... His his prelim game was just a very efficient win. Um, I believe he was yeah. playing as Necro, or maybe he was playing as Barony. It was either Necro or Barony. Some, some uh, sure. Dreadnoughts on the board faction... And I just remember the general takeaway of it was kind of feeling like, um, you know, those people that like get kind of a slower early game start and then it's just like they've got plastic on the board and they're making it look like space risk and they're just efficiently um, right. just throwing people's games out the window. Um, yeah. That was, I think, the kind of style of uh, that I that right. I had in my head for for Panzer. Yeah, uh, that was game seven, and Panzer was Necro, and that mm-hmm. was up against a few. No- I mean, that was against Laura. That was against James Box, who we just had on the show recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't like an easy round, but yeah, like you're saying, he kind of just like by the end of it was like, oh, Panzer has this just just in the bag. Yeah, I just had a feeling. I I just wanted to put that out there. Going into this game, I had a feeling like Panzer would win. Now let's talk about what happened. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this one, the first thing uh, to, to note is this whole game was defined by every single objective was either a territory control objective or a tech objective. Right. There were no spend resources, no spend trade goods, no spendy objective. It was all tech and positioning. And with this group, that turned into quite a lot of... Uh, territory deal making and point swapping, right? Like lots of I'll give you this trait if you let me get this trait, and we'll both get the four traits objective yeah. and tech skips and everybody it out as a very all friendly game. game. Yeah, absolutely. Right off the bat, just like I mean, the first three actions were all uh, strategy cards. Mm-hmm. 
uh, instead of like people trying to jump and sprint for territory and, and stake their claim before somebody else could get there. It was just like leadership and then politics and then trade and like lots of orbital drive. The, the whole first round was just like already didn't feel aggressive. It was just like, oh, they're just talking things out and figuring out where they're going to put their stuff. And then that continued in around two and three and, and very like before too long, we realized, oh, these players are never going to steal something from each other mm-hmm. that's just not mm-hmm. how they operate they're going to ask and try to make a deal out of it yep. yeah i think it's interesting that you say that though because i, I mean it, i actually missed the the first couple rounds of of this game mm-hmm. um but it says that barony got both equidistance in round one i mean that sounds right. pretty aggressive to me that sounds like well oh, but it well. was all it was all through deal making mm-hmm. it was all through Let's talk through it. It was I mean, agreed L1, borders, basically. Right. It was agreed borders. L1 got paid to not take their equidistance. You know, it's like he, he wasn't just taking the equidistance. It was like, let me get the equidistance, oh, right, and I'll right. give you this in return. Because Panzer in- took trade in round one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, one one other thing I wanted to call out that I, I did uh, make no, it. No, Panzer had tech. I'm sorry. Oh, Panzer had, had tech. tech? Oh, okay. Yeah. Regardless. Khan had trade, but still. Um. I wanted to call out something that I saw a lot in this game, uh, and it's written pretty early, so this was a trend that continued throughout the game, uh, was Hakan buying uh, military support from Seoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, like, I feel like that card doesn't get... That's a very good promissory note, and I feel like I don't see... I don't see it get bought enough, and it's great yeah. that this game was like so heavy about it. Yeah, he got it three times in round one. Just round one. He oh, got six wow. Ground forces. Oh, I didn't know that. I d- six I didn't ground forces in- for wow. he spent. He he ended up giving Soul a total of four trade goods to get military support three separate times. So, so six ground forces for four trade goods wherever he wanted them. Which is Hakan is great. I mean, yeah. you you've got that annoying home system. That's it's like it can be kind of annoying to position your stuff early as Hakan. So getting a bunch of free ground forces, not free, but you know. What I mean right a yeah. bunch of a bunch of easy to land ground forces is incredibly helpful yeah I agree with that especially early game when you're you know most vulnerable um yeah that's that's super good play yeah we had we yeah. had two soul players in the knockouts and both of them sold their military support quite a lot a lot mm-hmm. yeah very mm-hmm. effectively sure. mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's it's a great card I feel like it's been underrated um so tell me about this mid game yeah, so, I mean, first things first, it was just a lot more of just straight-up deal-making. By round three, Barony and Ghosts were starting to get a little bit tense with each other, um, but they were still making deals. But it's like every deal was kind of like, hey, I'm I'm keeping an eye on you, but yeah, let's go ahead and do a you know a planet for four trade goods. Or mm-hmm. Like, it didn't actually stop them from making any uh, deals, but they, they were starting to eye each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Basically, round round three was just a really interesting one. I want to note one really specific play that happened in round three, which is that Barony kept kind of stalling, mm-hmm. and it was not clear what he was stalling for. And I do not know if all of this was a part of Barony's plan. Um, but basically, Barony ended up with just, like, extra cards, extra command counters, and uh, made himself look so scary just because he was very obviously stalling that someone um, used a signal jamming on him. Mm-hmm. And, like, after he used the signal jamming, he passed. And, and we never got to see, like, what Barony's actual what he was plan was. For. But I re- there's a world where Barony was trying to bait out stuff like that. Ooh. Like, he didn't have a... Pl- because when the, when I remember when the signal jamming got played, he was he almost was kind of, like, happy with that. He was like, good, yes, okay, that was wor- this is working. or Like, I don't know what he was doing, mm-hmm. but it seemed like part of his plan was, like, 
I have a lot. I, I'm I'm comfortable right now, and there's not really anything terrible anybody can do to me. I would like to burn people's stuff if I can. So yeah, like make myself look like I'm right, setting up for right. something big, and then um, I'm you know it, this was sort of part of Panster's like. He, I wouldn't say Panster really, really plays the meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a little bit, um, but he he definitely like used his tactics to just like psych people out, and, mm-hmm. and in that way he was kind of playing the meta. It was it was really interesting to see, and I I would be curious to know what his plans were that round and what he was stalling for, and if the signal jamming played a part or if that was like what he was banking for was trying to bait out a signal jamming early well i'll say this it 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 looks like i mean there's no isarl um right soul and l1 obviously start with neural so i mean if you bait out a late game action card round three i mean there's a pretty good chance that it's not going back into the that that we're not shuffling the discard pile now if everybody gets neural that could bite you in the butt honestly that could end up being like well, yeah, you baited it out, but like now it's round six and all those cards are back in the yeah. uh, economy. So I don't know. Right. But yeah, that uh, that sounds that sounds really interesting. And Panster, if you're listening, uh, hit us up. Let us know what you were yeah. what you were up to. The the other thing to note uh, to me was Soul did not make a play for Mechatol at all. Um, mm-hmm. he, he he had an opportunity to jump on it and just kind of didn't really take it. Didn't seem interested, and that led to Barony getting it. So basically, in the mid game. Um, Barony ended up with this uh, a little bit of a lead, but yeah. again, it was it was such a deal makey lead that it's not like anybody was like we have to stop Barony. It was kind of like hey, let's scale back how much we offer Barony, right? Compared then, to each other, and, and then they hit like the middle of the game, like round four, and they then they did start to jump on him because yes, he did kind of exactly the head for a moment. Right, he he started to get scary, and he was sitting with like comfy. Um, objectives. There was actually a point where um, I think it was round four where Barony could have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a maybe it was round end. five. Yeah, yeah, they 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 really could have won, but it was one of those things where they needed to stretch themselves a little bit thin mm-hmm. to do it, uh, and they just chose not to. They just decided I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be risky. Um, and I think because of their unwillingness to take that risk, uh, it, it ended up hurting them a lot because all the attention started to turn towards them. And and I think when you when you are already garnering attention, you don't get to get that attention off of you yeah, unless yeah, you get right. crushed, right? right. Yeah. So your only other option is I have to swing. Yep. For, like, I just, just got to go for it and see if I can make it happen now. Like, as soon as the player – if you get two people starting to put heat on you, it's time to go for broke. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, bear, the, we, the funny we, thing we, about that is that a couple of people did start to put heat on him, and they were like – Oh, he's gonna get non-Euclidean shielding, and when he does, he's his fleets are gonna be unstoppable. He's, so we yeah. need to stop him from. We need to take mirror so that he can't use it as a red skip. And then they tried two people, including the ghosts, yep. with their uh, Creus IFF promissory note, and they right. failed. They didn't right. commit hard enough. Yeah, they, they didn't bring enough ships. Um, and then so so yeah, there was a lot of talk that round about oh my gosh, Baron is gonna get non-Euclidean shielding, and it was kind of like. Really, that's like the main thing you are all terror. It's it's a <laughs> yeah. scary tech, no no doubt. But they weren't afraid of like the potential points Barony was going to score. It was just this one tech. If Barony gets non-Euclidean shielding, we're all done for. And as soon as uh, he got it, ghosts were immediately like, "Okay, cool. I want to support for throne swap with you because I just don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that at Th- all." This is like when I checked in. Like what uh, this was like the thing that was happening when I yeah. got to the table. 
And then afterwards, they the other three players support for the throne is weird in five, you know, because do that yep. math real quick. Uh, right. So the <laughs> so the other three had to do like a trifecta swap yes, of yeah. they did a round robin. I, re- I remember hearing them negotiate that that being the first thing I was hearing. Be like, man, this game is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's uh, that's wild though because then that means that Barony had a route to to ten, and they hadn't even done the support for the throne swaps. Then. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he was getting he was getting very good um, objectives mm-hmm. and all these positional deals. I mean, it's like nobody was challenging him on his position. It was like like by the time they needed to be challenging him, it was almost too late because he's Barony with non Euclidean shielding. Right. It's like the whole fear of the situation they had put themselves in. Yep. Um, but round five. Um, Hakan gets Quantum Data Hub node, which is going to become a feature later on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he he doesn't really have the money to get it, so you kind of see Hakan starting to try to posture for like, am I what else am I doing this round, or should I start to like try to get the goods to be able to get Quantum Data Hub node so that I can go in to the next round with the right amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of um more like the the players starting to take bigger risks. Uh, Barony gets Occupy Seat of the Empire, and they are they they decide not to go back to Mechatorex. Let's see, I'm trying to remember all of my uh, notes. E- either way, the 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 main story around five is nobody comes out like on top mm-hmm. by the end of round. Hakan they, they, Hakan does have a four point swing that round. Yes. Oh yeah. So so well, that's the big thing, right? Round five was the round four. They stopped Barony, right? Yep. They slowed Barony down enough. Round five was everybody else clawing their way back up, especially Hakan. But everybody wasn't in a like a place of contention. But by the end of round five, what ended up happening is everybody was an option to win it. Right. Um, and I do mean everybody. Everybody had some sort of route to victory going into round six. Um, and this is where this game really breaks down and gets very weird. And it's kind of like the main takeaway for this show. So, uh, or for the, for this game outside of the like lots of weird positional deals of point swapping and all that which i think we all have our own thoughts and opinions on like how far should you take point swapping for me that's i don't love it Uh, it makes sense in certain situations but i think the only way to win a game of ti is to take some significant risks Mm -hmm. every now Mm -hmm. and then Uh, and it never felt like any of these players took any risks and so what ended up happening is going into round six we had four players at eight points and one player at seven points Every single one of them had some path to victory. Right. Um, uh, so what? I what s- makes the difference in that situation? The what? What is the what is the key thing that meant that the winner was going to win? If everybody I has mean, a shot, then it's all initiative. It just right. All well, comes down I mean, to initiative that, that's that's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying that. Yeah. Uh, Imperial and Quantum Data Hub Node right. is what wins if everybody Are else very is tied. Important. And I mean, yeah. I think it's worth noting that Jnor got got himself into a position to take Imperial on round five, and then yep. on round five, he gets Quantum Data Hub node so that he can take Imperial on round six, which yes. is, yep. that's crazy that it was Imperial back-to-back for the win. So that's and, a double and because, and because the mid-game was so focused on Barony on the other side of the board, no one was in a position mm-hmm. to strike at the Hakan mm-hmm. in any right. real significant way. So after right. that... Like they, they were, they started round five at four points. Why right. worry about that? You know, right. So let's let's talk about what what I think we all agree is probably the biggest mistake of these players going into round six, which is they did not 
go into the agenda phase or come out of the agenda phase talking about Hakan's quantum data hub node. They, they did not. They weren't scared enough of it. They basically. weren't scared enough of it. They weren't talking about what do we, what is our plan going into this to deal with, like what, what are we going to let Hakan get or not get? Uh, there, there just wasn't really enough of that. So round six, you see Barony with leadership, Hakan with Imperial, Federation of Soul with diplomacy, uh, L1Z1X with construction, and Ghosts with technology. Yeah. So L1 and Ghosts are kind of like the least favorites to win, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. the, they the have funniest... to get to the end of the round, and it's like they don't really have a good option to get there. The other three are all racing for it and hoping each other's home systems get taken the, out. The funniest thing to me is that they, they didn't even force Jaynor to use Quantum Data Hub nodes. They right. just let him yeah. have Imperial because they were like, right. ah, we it. don't You're know right. how to deal with this, so we're just not yeah. going to take it because then we risk being stuck with junk that we don't want. Right, right, right. Um, and, and, and us as commentators even, like, Ghosts ended up taking uh, tech, which we were not a huge fan of at first, because the big thing going into this round was uh, the, the newly revealed objective was have, what, three unit upgrades? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, um, that, so was, was, that was actually the one previous. The last one that previous. was revealed was six tokens, which no one ended up scoring. Right. Mm -hmm. But now everyone was getting into a position where they were closer to having their third unit upgrade. But, like, yep. multiple people needed tech to pop this round. Yeah. And so if you're coming at this from the headspace of someone who wants to stall things out because you need to make something else happen, you shouldn't pick tech. And ghosts were the last one to pick strategy cards. So when ghosts picked tech, we were like, what are ghosts doing? They're like... They're gonna. They're forcing themselves to have to give the game away to somebody because if if tech gets played, two or three players get like an automatic two points. There's yep. just nothing that can be done about it. Yep. So it was a very weird pick to us, but it became quickly apparent once seven what seven's plan actually was because seven was already picking last. Like, what are you gonna do? You, you're definitely not getting leadership. You're not getting diplomacy. You're not getting imperial. So you're you're at the butt end of all the stuff. So instead, what seven does is takes tech and knows that Hakan can win it on their first turn if tech gets popped. Right. If tech gets popped, Hakan gets the tech they need, they win the game by playing Imperial. Nobody has an opportunity to take Hakan's home system fast enough. That's just not where people are positioned. It's all about stalling Hakan out at this point. Uh, and then that just gives the victory to Barony, right? So then, okay, now we have to kill Barony, and then we have to kill Sol, but Sol has diplomacy. So it's just like this like ridiculously long route to get there. Ghost's only option is they need one more point and then they can try to do a secret objective. Uh, and their secret objective was not an automatic thing, despite, you know, how maybe the players, their perspective on all this was. But Seven, uh, the ghost player, essentially came to the table and said, I'm popping tech first round unless I get someone's support for the throne. We talked about the three-way swap that had happened earlier. Right. That had that broken had kind down. Of, that had broken down mid-game, and so one player had their support for the throne available, and it was um, Gigawatts, the, um, uh, 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 the, the, the L1Z1X one player. One player. Yeah. So, so Ghost said, L1Z1X, you give me your support for the throne, or I'm playing tech my first action. Because it's my only route out, right? Right. And, and this is where like the crazy win-making debates come into play, mm -hmm. and all of us were very firmly like in favor of this play and none of the players in the game were like super outwardly against this. No one was calling this like totally a broken play because at the end of the day, that was Seven's only leverage, right? He picked Tech specifically so that he could have the leverage to get support mm -hmm. for the throne. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just so that he would have a shot. From the I, I, and I get I get the other players' perspective of like 
you might have an automatic win with your with your secret objective. We don't know. We can't just give you a support for the throne that will put you at nine. That that's crazy. But from Seven's perspective, it is his only option. And yeah. why should he just sit on his hands and let everybody else play around and be like, okay, cool, have fun, guys, see you later? No, there's there is a conceivable way he can win. He did what he needed to do to try to make that happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think it's interesting when always playing, like, you you, you know, people always say, like, you got to hang in there at the end and, like, still play for the finish. Yeah. But where that basically collides with, uh, with king making, I mean, we literally, we have such a good example of that now. Right. Yeah, and I mean, exactly. that this was Ghost's way of staying in the game. This, this was legitimately the only option that they had. Um, right. And I'm actually, I'm almost surprised it didn't work. Like, there was a part of me yeah. that was like, I think this gambit is about to to pay off and then we're going to see yeah. this whole round play out but it it did not and, and it could have but i, I think but, if it yeah. was anybody other than seven it might have maybe but so. also if yeah. it was anyone other than seven they probably wouldn't have gone for that play i don't think mm-hmm. anyone yeah. else would have thought to be like, <laughs> i'm going to take the strategy <laughs> card ex- you know, specifically to extort a support for the throne right. right there's a good there's a good argument there though because seven's attitude going into this was he he took it and he, he made his ultimatum but he kind of had the attitude of like I don't care. I don't care what happens. Like, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I have to do. Yeah. Now, if somebody else had come to the table and been more kind of like, yeah, I don't know, diplomatic about it and said, guys, listen, I, I hate this, but this is what I have to do. Right. This, this and is if, if they had kind of gained, garnered favor from the table, someone might have actually, they might have actually taken him up on it. But, but yeah, like you're saying, it was seven, and he was kind of being antagonistic about it. So the table more or less just was kind of ignored him and was and was just like not into what he was trying to, to pull off yeah they're like so the, nah, there you is wouldn't, a you interest- wouldn't do that you wouldn't do that right nah, yeah like, they were trying to call his bluff and he was like no i'm gonna do it i there, i have no other path to victory and he was right he didn't like that by picking especially by picking tech yep. that that was it he was gonna be basically last in scoring order um and so yeah i i stand by his play i think it was a good play mm-hmm. uh it just makes for you know you gotta be prepared to, to call that bluff but yeah I, I think if you're going to say players should fight it out until the to the bitter end that's exactly what this is an example right, of. this right. is like the harshest example of that i can possibly think of yeah and and when you can't when you literally cannot the like why extend the game right yeah right right yeah right um, and, and especially considering, too, my, my, my other favor of this is, like, we just broke down. Hakan set themselves up for this. They yeah. got Quantum Data Hub Note. They got the money they needed to be able to go into this. They had the swing round last round to set themselves up. Into the, I mean, they, they played a great second half of the game. I mean, they played, they played a good whole game. But, like, their second half of the game was solidly setting themselves up for this end game scenario yep. where their win was the most assured and everybody else would have to take it away from them. Mm-hmm. And so basically one player said, I'm not going to take it away from you unless I specifically benefit from it. And nobody was willing to take the deal, which meant on uh, Seven's turn, he played tech. Uh, Hakan got the, the last tech they needed, played Imperial and won the game. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just I think it just goes to show you that Quantum Data Hub Node is, uh, I mean, this is not the first time we've ever said it, but I feel like it hasn't been brought up in a long time. Um, yeah. Because it's, it yeah, is it's really good. It's costly. Um, it also kind of makes me realize that, like, I, I, and I'm sure I have said this before, but yellow skip, a yellow skip for Hakan is such a huge deal. That is, yeah, I think, the almost most, crucial, the, the biggest yeah. 
skip that they can that I mean they can make use of a lot of uh, a lot of skips yeah. in fun ways. But I think a green skip is fun for them. But yellow skip is like crucial at this yeah. point because I'm also starting to feel like transit diodes is like a necessary transit yeah. diodes is good. Uh, Space dock two can be very good for them. Yeah, yep. yeah, they they've got a lot of yellow stuff that they need. It's just graviton sitting in the way. And not, you know, not really helping out really at all. So, yeah, that yellow right. skip is really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, let's let's jump into our next game. Yeah, let's talk game uh, two. Knockouts game two, just to go over the players. We had John as the Nalu Collective in Leonard Nimoy. We had Imson as the Ghost of Creus in Brent Spiner. We had Kraken as the Hakan in Evera Forever. We had Wild as the Barony in Meat Lovers. And we had the Nine of Spades as the Muat, the Embers of Muat in Dave's Dutch Oven. So already, right off the bat, weird draft for this game. Embers uh-huh. of Muat, <laughs> yeah, making it, was, it through. It was a pretty funny draft, actually. Um, yeah. they, they kind of went into it with like a very specific plan, and like people had agreed to do it in a specific way, and then just immediately it fell apart. And they did right. Right. Completely yeah, they, they were trying to agree to let all the good factions through. Like, yeah. well, and, and this is something we saw Kraken do in his semis game, too. Kraken came into the draft. Kraken, I think, is one of the players who has embraced the draft a lot more than almost any other player in the tournament where he's like, why are we trying to like, I don't know, overcorrect? Like, let's just make it, let's let good factions in, you know, maybe not let Saur in, but every, everything else should be fair game. If we all can get good factions, then we'll all have a good game. Um, yeah. And I there's d- not a horrible argument against that. Like, I, I think that's a pretty fair I do want to say, uh, speaking of the Saur, the, there were a lot of bans and, and, weird picks and things but the one constant was that no one wanted sar in this map yeah 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 this yeah. map especially not 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 one you wanted to tease sar with i uh, mean we they, haven't they had a lot of sar in general in in no, the entire sure. tournament the whole it's tournament been... people don't want sar sar is just a scary proposition mm-hmm. um even even if it's like you're a i don't think it's always a situation where you're afraid of sar winning but you know sar is going to ruin one player's game and yep. you don't want to be that player exactly. so it's just right, like yeah. i don't want to let Sar in and then have it bite me by being neighbors to Sar, and now they're going to take my system from me or my, whatever. My, like, my question is this, and I don't remember, and I'm not even sure I saw it because I think this might be, I might have missed a little bit of the beginning of this one as well. That's been a, a, a new storyline, uh, has been Hunter missing <laughs> portions of the game. But what was what was Nine of Spades' choice between Mua and m- what? The Winu. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cra- so they let... It was was it Kraken or I think it might have been Imson that put in both Winu and Kra- and Muad. I forget. I don't remember which player it was at all, but I know they had talked about letting a bunch of good factions in, and they let mostly good factions in, and then they let Winu and Muad in. And Nine of Spades was the last because of that Winu and Muad. It completely dictated the draft to where everyone chose faction first, and Nine of Spades was last in drafting order. We've seen plenty of other drafts kind of go this weird mix mash of like, well, I'll take a p- position. That, you know, the next two players take a faction, the fourth player takes a position, but this one was like, because of that Embers and Muat at the back of the pack, it was just like, nope, everyone's taking a faction right away. Right. Nobody wants to get left with Muat. Yep. Um, but that left Nine of Spades with the first option, and he went for Dave's Dutch Oven, which I, I don't think everybody would definitely think is the best option for Muat, but it's kind of like, you know, oh, I, I, well, I want to sit with that Supernova right in front of yeah, me. Why yeah. not? I don't think it's a horrible thing. I, I mean, I think there's options for, like, try to get a better blue skip near you, that kind of thing. But I don't think there's anything wrong with Dave's, Dave's Dutch Oven. And oh, I'm certainly I'd... excited to see how they would make it work. And and he, you know, he he did well. He, he, did, got, he did make yeah. it work. I, I, I felt like right away, though, I thought it was a great plan. Because yeah. what's the—so the issue with—, with uh, 
Mua, I feel like one of the core problems of the faction is that you have to go down red in order to get mm. your War Sun 2. Well, red's not fun to go down. It's a bad tech path. Right. And so actually, you want to maybe go blue. Um, and I feel like there's just, that's basically the debate is between do you go for Gravity Drive or do you go for um, War, Sun 2? War Sun 2? But if, if you make Magmus Reactor from being a really bad, no good tech to an all right tech, to at right. least better than Majin, then yep. you're kind of you're kind of cooking. You know, you're cooking right. with Dave's Dutch oven, and I feel like that's <laughs> that's what Nine went with, which was uh, super cool. Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, let's. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of us. No, it's fine. Uh, so round one was the longest round one I've ever experienced in my entire <sighs> life. It's, it was a travesty. A it and was an everyone hour they and should a half. all be ashamed. <laughs> Demerits for all of them. <laughs> No, okay, here's what happened. They went into it with lots of negotiation, and they all had plans of what they were trying to accomplish, but then there were a, a, a couple instances by all players, I would say. There, there's one particular deal that had like a total breakdown of communication, but there were multiple deals that had some form of miscommunication, and that led to like constantly reevaluating the deals they had made, and basically yep. like every single action players were renegotiating deals they had yeah, there, like there just was made the action before. There was one deal between a couple of players that, all told, probably took about between thirty and forty-five minutes between yep. all the different negotiations and the, right. the renegotiations, and mm-hmm. oh, it was brutal. Right now, that's us chastising these players. We should say, by the end of the round, the Emirates of Akan ended with three trade agreements and two ceasefires so it was not all for naught right <laughs> like right. hakan was getting worked there was done. some good play happening it yeah. was just complicated and if anything if anything that's sort of the argument against letting all of these long-winded crazy negotiations happen when there's a hakan at the table because a good hakan is going to get the better end of all of those deals and i kind of would argue hakan got the better end of every single deal they made uh, at this table by having, I mean, in round two, uh, Hakan got what we call the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, mm-hmm. The Infinity Gauntlet is one of every single player's promissory note. Usually, it's in regards to the trade agreement, but you can see it with anything. The, there's a ceasefire Infinity Gauntlet. There's a right, trade agreement right. Infinity Gauntlet. And by round two, Hakan had an Infinity Gauntlet. And it's the only time I've ever seen a full Infinity Gauntlet. Right. Yeah. I mean, I never it see was, everybody. It was only it's a five-player five player game, game, but still sure. impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still crazy, especially to do it by round two. And yeah. not and, only, and also not only just, that, but it was it was four trade agreements and three ceasefires at that point, and then he yeah. got most of those trade agreements back like the next yes. round. He almost got a second Infinity Gauntlet. Okay. Like he spent okay. All, all right. The trade all right. All right. Yeah, you guys need to it. slow down because <laughs> I just got an email from Mickey Mouse. Saying if we <laughs> say really Infinity tired. Gauntlet one more time, he's sending the Disney lawyers after us, and we are gonna be in the gutter. So they're gonna snap their fingers. I can't. I can't hear Infinity show. Gauntlet one more time. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I this actually brings up something that I kind of want to spoil a little bit about an upcoming episode. Um, we are trying to do an episode that's gonna be like a profile on every finalist, and yeah. I, you're talking about these intricate plans that are really like kind of complex and like confusing. And, and, you know, I think if you navigate those correctly, you can get a lot out of, uh, 
like you know you can you can get a lot out of that as it sounds like Kraken was sort of doing. Yeah. What's interesting in watching um, is it Schroeder or Schrader? Actually, I forget. Schroeder. Schroeder. So I've been watching uh, Schroeder's games and taking a lot of close notes. One thing that is really interesting about Schroeder that I feel like we have not mentioned on the show before is that he does his deals. Um, even if they're like not the nicest or best deal that's available, he does them with a kind of clarity that makes you Mm -hmm. want to say yes. Like it just makes you want to be like, because everybody's making deals and they're all overly complicated. There's one quality of him that I think is really interesting, which is that I just feel like he phrases it in a way that's like very succinct and he knows exactly what the price is and he just gives it to you. Like, here you go. It's like, it's like he hands you a piece of paper and just says like, all you have to do is sign your name. That's it. And then that's all you got to do. Um, I, I think that quality and Kraken's quality are the two things that make for a really great Hakan. Mm-hmm. A, like you're describing, very clear-cut deals where it's just like, hey, all you got to do, yeah, let's just sign on the dotted line and we're done. We're out of right, here right. and you're getting a lot. And the second thing is Kraken did my favorite thing to do as a con, which is not try to make a bunch of money, but try to make a lot of utility. It's yeah, all right, right. about, I'm going to use my six commodities to get stuff, mm-hmm. not not to just make six or seven trade goods on top of that. Right. I don't need to make $10 this round. I need to get things that I can use later. Like we said, he ended up with almost every single player ceasefire, and that comes into yeah, play it's in the end game. Yeah. That's a huge deal in the end game for him. So it's like, if as long as I can get my money elsewhere, I can use my crazy amount of commodities to get a lot of utility, and I think that is a humongous factor as mm-hmm. a successful mm-hmm. Hakan. Well, let's uh, let's let's get further into it. What what was round two like? Uh, round two was well, way faster because there was nothing left for anybody to give out. Everybody <laughs> had like <laughs> traded away. This what's what's funny to to draw a, a line of distinction between this and game one. Game one was all deals about territory. This was just deals. This was like trades for trades and and promissory notes for trade goods and all this stuff. There weren't as many positional deals. That that was an element, but it wasn't nearly as egregious as round one. This was just lots and lots of deal making. And yeah, round two. There was just nothing left yeah, there, uh, to, to give. <laughs> and there, there were two spend objectives and only one control objective. So people didn't yeah. need desperately to control planets right. or systems or anything like that. They could spend, it was eight influence or five trade goods. So. Right. But, uh, but round two ended with the Embers of Muat and the Ghost player, both of them with both of their equidistance, mm-hmm. and Hakan had none of their equidistance. Ooh. So in all of Hakan's dealings, they're gaining all this utility, but they're also not gaining almost any ground. And so there was a little bit of a fear of like, is Hakan giving up the right things or not? Like, where, how is Hakan going to kind of turn this around uh, later on? Uh, so uh, going into round three, you see uh, the Ghost and Hakan catch up. Uh, Hakan got Imperial. Uh, and managed to just have a bit of a swing there. And Ghosts was using Hakan to get more deals and improve their own position. So everyone's just kind of sticking with the pack. I wouldn't say anyone was like a clear um, uh, winner. There was a really funny moment I want to point out uh, in round three where there was like a secret negotiation between Hakan and Barony. And then uh, I think it was Barony made like acted like they were going to activate Hakan's home system. Uh, and then and then Hakan was like, well, let's let's do a support for the throne swap instead. Will you do that instead of attacking me? And like 
I think it was the nine of spades immediately called that out as Hollywooding, which is like kind of a poker term, but like to say like, you guys just faked that interaction, yeah. which was a hundred percent the case. Yep. Like they had decided, <laughs> like they wanted to do the support for the throne swap, but they but didn't they, want it to yeah, look like just yeah. this amicable thing. So right. they tried to make it look like a threat that turned into the support for the throne hilarious. swap. And someone at the table was just like, you guys just faked that, yeah. which was like next level reading of a situation. Yep, that's awesome. amazing. Nine, and it wasn't the only time this shit. game it wasn't the only time this game that Nine of Spades made an amazing call. We'll go over another one later, but Nine of Spades has this like metacognition that is on a whole other level. I, I well, I will point out that uh, you said no one had really taken a lead by this point, but Nalu at the end of round two had four points to everyone else's two points. True. Okay. Yeah. True. Um, I, it was one of those. I, I think I don't count those in a major way because I, I believe it was kind of a limiting. Four, you know you know when you get four points but then it's like yeah okay but you have two objectives left to score like you didn't get those points through Megatall yeah. rex or anything and you don't have a stockpile of secrets it's like you're tapped you have yeah. your four points but you're tapped it was, out yeah it was That's it was a support for the, the it was a support for the throne swap with muat and they had scored two mm-hmm. publics on a secret and yeah and that yeah. that support swap extended the entire game which is yeah great true. for him not having to face um, this uh more sense right so going into round four, what we would start to call the early late game, I guess. Um, so mid game. Con- yeah, well, yeah, the mid game. It is. It no, is no, we already but, have a word for that. And I know, but I want to be. I want to be specific in this. This one was different though because. Hakan had a path to victory in round oh, four. Oh, I see what you're saying. Round four could have ended the game. Like it, it was like it's over. round four. Oh, hey, guess what? We're in the late game now. Like yes, yeah, exactly. I see. What um, you're saying. So so Hakan had a chance to win, and it was mostly due to the fact that he had everyone's ceasefires. And so everyone was having to, like, was seeing that Hakan is sort of a threat. And so we need to start burning these ceasefires right now so that we can do the bigger attacks, like, this round. All of this needs to happen right now. Um, and so very quickly, they start burning ceasefires, and then very quickly, Ghosts ends up taking uh, Hakan's home system um but part of one of the deals that had happened uh, this was actually an interesting thing i think hakanan traded their ceasefire out to somebody else if i'm remembering this right and then that somebody else ended up giving it to ghosts so when hakan uh... went to take their home system back ghosts revealed hakan's ceasefire if i'm misremembering that i apologize maybe just ghosts had it but hakan definitely did not remember that ghosts or did not know that ghosts had their ceasefire yeah, I, and I went to take their home system back th- and could not do it he had given his his ceasefire to ghosts during the round one trade debacle mm-hmm. that was that was uh, once forgotten it. about it yeah um, certainly possible and in that round muat also took um hakan's home system and this is when Muat started to like really start to climb back. Uh, basically, Muat didn't have any heat on them rounds one, two, or three, and in round four, after Hakan got shut down, it was kind of like, okay, well, who's gonna like start coming up behind them? And Muat all of a sudden looked really strong because they just hadn't been hurt all game. They were sitting behind their supernova, never getting attacked, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it just things were starting to look a lot better for Muat. Right. Uh, that, that agenda phase, we saw one agenda where Hakan played a politics writer and Ghost played their Imperial writer just to block uh, like to, uh, on the opposite side of that agenda. So there was a politics writer versus an Imperial writer, and I think Ghosts ended up getting the point out of it because people weren't willing to let Hakan move the speaker token. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in the end... At what point did uh, Nine get uh, Warsun 2? Because that... 
that was the point where I was like, that's when nine really got on my radar. Is like, oh wow, okay, this is getting. Wild. Uh, it was probably round four. I don't have it written down, but it wasn't like later. I mean, he 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 more or less rushed for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he got Magmus reactor fast. Like, yeah, he he was he was pushing for War Sun too. Well, let's talk about what, how. So, tell me about round five. Tell me about yeah. round five, Matt. So, um, round five is where things get. How do you put it? It, it was it was messy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically <laughs> basically uh, there were there was Hakan offered a support for the throne to ghosts to not pick Diplo. That was sort of an interesting factor of this round. Like they they were afraid of I don't know all these weird things, and basically ghosts agreed to this non-biting deal. Hakan uh, uh, and basically round round five is odd because no one actually had a path to victory. Normally you see round five where there's like one person who if they stretched themselves thin enough, they might have it. Right. But that was not the case this round. So then it was just a lot of like, okay, who, like, people need to get their points so that they're set up correctly for round six, but also, like, nobody still wants to look like the leader because no one is a clear front runner anymore. Like, we've dealt right. with a con, and so everyone's kind of still trying to play it safe. Well, uh, also, I want to um, point something out that you had mentioned in when we were talking about the previous round. So Muat didn't take Hakan's home system after, from Ghosts. Muat took Men- Mechatol Rex from Hakan. Yes. Um, yeah. I, b- yeah. I believe you kind of said it the other way before. So we've got Ghosts is occupying Hakan, and then Me- uh, Muat is sitting on Mechatol going into round five. Ghost doesn't pick uh, Diplomacy. Yep. And um, we also see in this round, uh, the Barony ends up abandoning Hakan's home system. Um, the, ghost, there was... the ghost abandoned the Hakan's home system. I, I, are my notes on this? Uh, and then, I don't know what's so going on. I, so the ghost abandoned the home system. That's part of the agreement. That's why he didn't pick Diplomacy. Uh, yes. Seven, not seven, sorry, nine, nine of spades, abandons Mechatol Rex where he had been sitting last round, and yep. Barony yep, takes yep, Mechatol yep. Rex. And right. then uh, nine of spades makes another one of his amazing calls and realizes that Hakan needs to have five dreadnoughts, dreadnoughts to get yeah. Uh, yeah. His, right. his secret. So he launches an attack across the galaxy with his one remaining uh, war sun. Into nope. this one was this one was both war sons. Was it? Oh, okay. It was both. This, yeah, yeah, this was, was both five. Sons. This was five dreads sitting in Hakan's home system, yep. and uh, Muwak brought two uh, two war sons and, and some know, fighters, other little ships. Yeah, yeah, some fighters, some ground forces, whatnot. Uh, but the main goal being, I just need to take out dreads. I just know one I dread. To, I, I need to kill <laughs> one dread, and I think. Hakan had something like four fighters or whatever. So like five yeah. dreads, four, three or four fighters. Yeah. It's like, that's a lot of soak damage before you can kill one dread. So it yeah. was not, but you know, it's, a, it's a war sure sons, right? So it's two you know. war sons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they go into the attack. Uh, and, and the other thing too is Hakan had multiple damaged dreadnoughts already. He had retreated into his home system. He, there had already been an attack and he moved uh, his, or, or maybe it wasn't a retreat, but regardless, he had like two or three of the dreads in his home system were um, already sustained. But after the first round of combat, Muwak got a few hits, uh, it took out the fighters, and then Hakan played an emergency repairs yep. and got all five dreads fully back online yep. Yep. for yep. the yep. second yep. round of combat, which meant like, oh crap, was, this thing is not over at all. It was a surprisingly all. tense fight. It was incredibly mm-hmm. tense, yeah. And, um, you know, a few more action cards get played, and, and in the end, uh, he did manage to kill only one a single dreadnought. dreadnought with those war sons and then they died mm-hmm. 
wild. Yep. So wild. And it, um, it saved. It saved him. It really and, and and Hakan would have won the game if not for that, correct? Um, I don't know if he would have won it in that round. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would have. I mean, it was a huge thing for. It may have been a win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do think it was a win actually. If I'm if I'm remembering right, that would have been the win for Hakan, uh... and that that took him out of contention. I, I do think that was the case. I think there was a lot riding on that that fight. Um, there were like other positional things that were going on too, but like. Ha- scoring the five dreads was a significant part of the overall plan for Hakan. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, going into round six, nine of spades has already dealt with the Hakan threat. Uh, and the, um, there's now a path for the ghost of Creus. The ghost of Creus end up with Imperial and they have to do something about the ghost or else the ghosts are going to win on their first action or like second action, you know, something like that, where it's mm-hmm. like the ghosts are going to mm-hmm. win if we don't, deal with them in a major way uh, and i do think it was i think it was on the line for it to be their first action yeah he, so they, they actually period, once again tokens, i think uh nine of spades coordinated oh yeah this was the game where ghosts uh pulled everything oh, out yeah. of they they pulled all the command counters and put everything yeah. into fleet so, or into tactics into strategy. strategy yeah they put everything in strategy which is brilliant right don't put anything in tactics so that you can't get insubordinated they put nothing it, they ha, it ended up with exactly six tokens in their strategy yep. so that was the only way they were going to get to score so what they ended up what what the point of all of this is to say i'm giving up on any port board position but if you don't take my home system, you cannot stop me from winning. There is no other path to me not winning. Is, right. Is, yep. right. The only way you can win is if you take my home and, system. And, and public disgrace had been played before. He was speaker, yep. so he knew for sure he could get Imperial. Right. It, was, it was a good Absolutely. play. And it was, it was a yeah, risk it was a, for it sure, was, but it was, it was a It was a risk, play. but it was a smart play. And uh, Nine of Spades, once again, kind of being the leader of this like plan to try to figure out what to do, calculated a way where um, the Nalu Collective could take warfare and play it on their very very first action first thing that happens right it's nalu they have the zero token right um the first action is warfare which you can do it just isn't really very good for nalu because nalu doesn't get to pull a token off the board but what it allows everyone else to do is build in their home systems and their only path to victory or their only path to stopping ghosts victory i should say is for the nine of spades uh the muat player to build a new his third war son in his home system off of warfare and then on his first action move it across the board with three movement to go take out you know he was able to jump through wormholes into the ghost of Creus's, uh home system yeah mm-hmm. and um they did it i mean they, they did that the the, the muat moves in and he managed to take out ghost home system so that's one one threat blocked um hakan has leadership they're kind of the next threat to worry about so the barony Aletnev um followed up with a jump on hakan's home system to take out one of those planets um so then uh next in line was muat which is crazy by the way we should really we need to give nine of spades even more credit of like being in this position of like oh you're the next in line to win as the embers of muat in a game with like a bunch of the best players in the world right that's that is hugely noteworthy. Right, right. Uh, and also being and, like what, like fourth down the line right, at the beginning right. of all of this, and then exactly. and then now he's the only one left that that's going to win, basically. Yep. Right. Yep. And and so Muat had a pretty dire route, but it was possible. Um, but off of Imperial, uh, that got popped pretty early on. It actually, um, I, I don't think that it was possible. He had to unveil his flagship, 
which he had built, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a fight that he could take within range. Right. I'll say uh, what I'll say is things could have been maneuvered in yeah, such a way someone where would have it, to come it's for not him. like it was impossible. It certainly wasn't impossible, but it was like gonna be a tough shot to make it happen. Um, so when Imperial got popped, he decides to try to draw a new secret just to see what he can get. And I would say this was like the one truly lucky moment for the Embers of Muwat. Everything else the Embers of Muwat did in this game was just like hard smart, work, good play, hard work. Took out two different people's home systems. Did we even talk about the fact that he took out the Federation of Souls home system as well? Oh yeah, no, Am we did not right mention game? that. Or yeah, yeah, is is that something is, that happened in this? No, there's who, there was there was a different game with a. I'm I, I'm getting them all mixed up. But regardless, he did take out two different players' home systems. Um. And there, there's, there's something to be said for pulling all of that off and then getting the lucky secret objective, mm-hmm, right? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, oh, his game was won because he got a lucky secret objective. Yeah. He did a he, lot of work hard. to be in the position where the lucky secret objective actually won him the game. Because right. he could have easily drawn a good secret objective but still been two points away. Right. No, he, he drew that last secret objective that he needed right when he was in range to get it. And the secret objective he got was control the region, which is the one where you need to put uh, six ships in different systems, a a ship in in six different systems. And uh, that opened him up in a a major way. That one was going to actually be quite difficult for anyone to block. Uh, And that's what ended up giving him the win at the end was, was being able to control the region. Yeah. It was great. I think, I think the takeaway of that is like war sun two at the, in the late game where everybody needs to be stopped or whatever. Yeah. Um, War Sun 2 is basically a one-stop shop to have that happen, basically. Yeah. So yeah. I, if you can hold on to the early game, if you can make deals and keep yourself from being a target in the early game and just build up your infrastructure, you're a, you're a good late game faction. This is why people think embers aren't like that horrible. Like if, if mm-hmm. the people that, that argue for embers argue, well, they're incredibly strong late game if your early game wasn't garbo Um, right but a lot of times your early game sucks and that that's just what makes embers really really hard to play but Mm -hmm. as we saw here like he he wasn't a target early on and was able to swing very very hard in the late game yep 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 all right well are we ready to talk about the the final knockout game i am i want to i want to just give one more set of kudos to nine of spades uh because i just feel like his victory was the was the hardest fought victory maybe yeah. of the entire tournament it, so it was far. it was both um, my least favorite game and my favorite game <laughs> yeah yep yep horrible uh, early I, game, I also want to say this amazing last two rounds right um nine's uh prelims game was kind of a similar story of like actually it was kind of the opposite because nine's prelim game was like he had a really great early game as yeah. yin he was playing as um, right right and then just like like scrapes his way to victory right. and it's held on uh, for dear life. I believe it's game number 10, six, no it's six. Six. Yeah. Game six. Um, probably my favorite prelims game is that one. So, so yeah, thus far nine has two very, very fun games to watch. Uh, as far as his performance. So he's, a, he's just a very fun player to watch play. Yeah, um, and yeah, every, yeah. everyone in this game was, uh, was great. I mean, I honestly, Kraken, uh, was I mean I thought at one point the story of this was just gonna be like well Kraken Rob right. stole the Kraken game crushed everyone in <laughs> yeah. deal making yeah, yeah just like absolutely wiped the floor and everyone with getting all their stuff yeah there was a, there was definitely a period where I was like wow this game's gonna end round four because Kraken stole everything from everybody yeah yeah <laughs> all right well yeah knockout game three who, knockout game three who we got uh, knockout game three was Malazuski as the Asarl. 
Uh, did, oh my gosh, did I not write down the slices on this thing? I got you. Uh, I got you. The slices here. He was yeah. in, Thank you. He was in Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, uh, he was. And then we had Space, Space Wizard, Wizard as the Yin Brotherhood. And he was in Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner. Right. Yeah, it's clockwise from here. That's They're in I order now. Yeah. Uh, Mifi Bread was the Federation of Soul in Evera Forever. Mantis was the Nalu Collective in Meat Lovers. And Mage was the L1Z1X in Dave's Dutch Oven. Yeah. Um, so this one's interesting because uh, it's another game where Soul, the Federation of Souls, snuck through, and I, I feel like that's kind of rare. I made the mistake of saying something about a Soul last game, but that wasn't the case. That this one we had a Soul through, and I just always think that's notable when Soul or Jolnar get through this draft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially on this map. I don't know. I think I feel like Gravity Drive early, and like the fact that Soul can take big positional advantages early it's just like really a scary prospect for soul yeah but but the flip side of that is that soul is not going to get to make the mechatol play before right. anybody else on this map right. because they 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 can't that well actually that's not true they they're could, they're two positions they where they lot, could though. yeah yeah um th- however where Mifi bread was playing a soul in ever forever um he was likely not going to be able yeah. to to beat someone to mechatol not that that ended up being a factor in this game, but right. it was worth noting. Like whenever they started, I was like, "Oh, he's not going to be able to do the soul thing, most likely." Yeah, I, I mean, I think we should talk a little bit about soul because in these first couple rounds is where I feel like a lot of soul's game was determined because I, I felt like um, our soul player Mifi Bread wasn't taking, wasn't pushing themselves as far as they could as soul uh the the first round they were set up in a way where they could have taken three different systems Mm -hmm. and they just opted not to get all three systems yeah um they round two they could have made a push for mechatol rex and i think it was round two regard they in general they could have made a push for mechatol rex and they did not push for mechatol rex there's just a lot of things that they did that well i feel like if they had done so they could have changed their late game they they didn't do it round two because they they took a bunch of resource heavy planets and ignored the uh, influence system that was right next to them they kind of went Mm -hmm. farther afield to get starpoint new albion Um, yeah that's right so he just didn't really have the influence to take it yeah. The the other notable stuff round one was um, Nalu. One of the first agen- uh, objectives up was to have ships in two systems adjacent to Mechatol Rex. And Nalu, Mantis, made a really strong push to do that because he was in Meat Lovers and was like, you know what? I'm going to use the Rift. Here we go. Rift game. And he lost the Destroyer to the Rift. And that will not be the first ship that Mantis loses to the Gravity Rift in this Or game. that people lose. Because or that anybody the, lose. The rift, the rift was hungry and was. Uh, very evil in this game. It, yep. That is yeah. the... That is, you know, there were, there were six players for this game. And the sixth one was the Rift. <laughs> yeah. And the Rift w- was winning a lot. The Rift um, scored right. some points. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I, the Rift I, was scary. I actually... On that same note, I really think this game was defined by some like incredibly notable bad luck on yeah, like yeah. multiple fronts. There were many fights this game where if either it was a toss up or one player was favored to win, and it always went the other way. 
Like yeah. it was always just like, oh, that that wasn't who was supposed to win that fight at all, and they just completely don't. Like every fight felt like it was just not how we expected it to go. Um, lots of weird dice rolls, lots of bad riffs that led to bad fights. Right, so people sending yeah. things into a fight where it's like, I have enough as long as everything makes it through the rift. Oh crap! It didn't make it through the rift. Now I'm screwed in this <laughs> right, fight. Right, right. That happened right. multiple times this game. Yeah. It was a very funny game uh, because of just because of that. There was a lot of there was a lot of bad luck. There was a lot of misplay. Um, yep. It, th- this group this group was completely not to say that th- this is also a very talented group um, of players, all of them. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of communication happening compared to the other two games. Right. They, this was not a yeah. talky bunch. This was a, right. this was a quiet compl- contemplative, like, yeah. I'll, all right, I put yes. my counter down and then we go for it kind of thing. Right. Yep. And, and that's, I want to, I want to yeah. go ahead. Ruth. I, I just wanted to mention that that's like a, a game where there are, there's a lot of talking and deal making and discussion about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, it might take longer, but a lot of mistakes get caught that way by people who yes. are talking you know, it out. Talking yeah, because you're watching each other. Your exactly. deals are predicated on your your fellow deal maker yeah. like pulling things off correctly. So you yeah. are catching their mistakes for them. Yeah, and this is everyone's putting their blinders on and doing their own thing, and people missed stuff. Um, I think this is a great point to talk about. Like another reason you should watch all three of these games is I feel like we ran the gamut of everything that is like accomplishable in a TI game, right? Yeah. Game one, game one was all point swaps and then the king making debate that always gets brought up. Game two was intricate deal making with crazy, like push, never stop, do everything you can to, to achieve victory. Game three is, no deals, nobody talk. I mean, the first round was like one of the most silent rounds we've ever had. They, right. These players did not talk almost at all during the draft. <laughs> they didn't speak hardly at all round one or even two very much. Like, just there was just like no speaking. And yeah, it, it ended up causing these weird mistakes. But the other flip side of that is it was players um, trying to to catch each other off guard and doing attacks that like nobody else was going to expect and trying to pull off things that um were were sneakier it was all players who just opted to be a little bit sneakier than than your normal game yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, the the biggest i guess point to that is in round four the l1 z1x um without there really even being a point on the board to suggest why they would do it they took the nalu's home system um it was open it was like wide open it was kind of open multiple times mostly because multiple times mantis lost ships to the rift that they shouldn't have so their slice was just like looking terrible by that point right it's not really his fault i want to contest that uh there there was a very good reason for him to take that home world and it is that he had been sitting on the secret objective to get four pds on the board and Nalu yep. had two of them in his home right, system, one on right, each planet. Right. So, right. He, so he needed to go assimilate two PDSs was the was sort of the goal. Right. Um, he ended up only getting to take one planet. He didn't really quite get enough ground forces there to take both planets with PDS. But it was kind of like, well, I can take one now. And then later, I should invade again and take the second PDS. And then I'll have enough to do my four PDS. Um, so, yeah, g- good point. Um, there's certainly a reason to get in there. And it, you know, it shuts Hakan out. Or not Hakan, but it shuts Nalu out. And Nalu was already 
looking pretty weak just because of some really terrible uh, gravity rift rolls. Yeah, so. there was the destroyer that was lost on round one, and then on round two, Nalu lost a uh, carrier and uh, I think some ground forces and some yep. some fighters. Yep. Uh, which yep. that that's the really bad one. The destroyer, I mean, that could have you know, it's a destroyer, not the biggest deal. Lame that he couldn't get the point, but losing a carrier round two. Uh, yeah, it hurt. That's yeah really so it, it yeah um, but yeah, yeah I mean like Mantis was just having the worst luck uh, but and I'm sure this is I'm, I'm sure we'll say this a couple times before we get done talking about this game it's crazy how bad things went for Mantis and yet how much if you just watched the points you would not have known that that was yeah, happening yeah. Mantis yeah. wasn't there I, yet but Mantis was there in the end game he was in it like he yeah, had yeah. shots and, to win and had, and had yeah had uh was in the pack um but like god it was hard to watch what was going on right. with his game because yeah. it was it was very very rough very very rough yep yeah I, i've mentioned it before um, and I'll, I'll say it again Mantis is probably the most consistently good player i've ever seen Mm-hmm. right he just he just yeah. always does really well yeah well and and i think it's because he also does have like the reason he was in this rift spot is because he's a player who's willing to take the risks that yeah will net him a lot if he had won all of those gravity rift dice rolls this would have been a completely different game yeah. this would have mm-hmm. been oh my gosh nalu is running away with it because they are taking the risks when they need to and they have everything they have multiple like they have two different people's slices it just would have been a crazy completely different situation but they kept getting hurt by the rift and it it hurt their whole game that's that's just part of taking risks yeah. um I, but i want to talk about yin and souls uh deals with each other because this this was yeah. not a deal making um group overall except for yin and soul kind of had some stuff going on yes um i for we tried out something different this time and i actually streamed this game live with with uh ej frequent guest ej um but it was a dumb stream we couldn't hear what was really going on most of the time and we were drinking and being silly um yeah so i could not quite understand all the details of yin and soul's deals so i'm wondering how did how did what was the deal with uh going on between them because they did some they did some planet swapping it was like the only planet swapping that really happened Right. And it had a lot to do with controlling um, four traits, mm-hmm. um, whether it was for secrets or if it was a public, I forget. But both. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, a, yeah, like a weird mixture of both. And so, yeah, they just wanted separate traits. And so they were trying to get into each other's. It was over Starpoint and New Albion and Kaysen and Raron, swat, you know, giving each other the specific trait that they needed and then opening up an opportunity for the other one to take the other planet. Um, and I think the other intent for all of this deal making was for. S- uh, to, to settle on a deal between Sol and Yin so that Sol could start to push into Nalu a bunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Sol never really made that push onto Nalu. They did, they took Melon from Nalu, but they didn't like do anything else. And I think Sol should have taken the opportunity that they were being granted from Yin to really push into Nalu. Uh, and it could have done a lot for them, but because they didn't, it ended up making Yin look a lot stronger between the two of them in that in their deals. Yeah, yeah, it it looked and Yin also ended up uh, with so uh, so one thing that I think was very helpful to uh, Mantis's game is that he actually um, with with very little plastic on the board was able to sneak onto Mechatol Rex and steal the point with like yeah. one carrier and, a, and an infantry um, right. right before anyone else could. But for most of the mid game, Yin was on Mechatol Rex. So yep, from my yeah. perspective, it was hard to see like what Sol was getting out of the relationship. Um, I know 
Uh, military support was traded to Yin at least once, maybe more than that. Um, but yeah, they, they, they had an interesting agreement that I felt like was kind of out of step with how the rest of the board was yeah. operating. Because the rest of the board was a lot more cutthroat right. and like not, they were, they were not trying to uh, come to the negotiating table at all. Right, right. Yeah, another thing to note there too is Yin was on Mechatol for almost the entire game and never once got Imperial. Yeah, not right. not table, for lack of trying. Yeah, the table they just, very effectively they, they kept it out of their hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it wasn't even something they had to talk about very. You know, it was never a situation of like who's going to take Imperial and keep it out of yet. There was just always someone who was like, "I'm going to nab Imperial. No, no discussion. Doesn't matter." Yep. Right. Um. There, it was just like an understanding of like someone else was going to get Imperial. They always kept the speaker token kind of far away from Yin. Um, if anything, that's probably the thing that hurt Yin's game the most. I would say, yeah, is they spent a lot of the game lower in the pack of mm -hmm. speaker order, yep. mm -hmm. generally speaking. Yep. Um, but so going into round five, L one is sitting on Nalu's home system, and in the previous round, uh, Nal or during the agenda phase, I think Nalu said, "I will give you gift of the prescience if you leave my home system this round." Um, and this is a non-binding deal between Mantis and Nine of Spades, both of which are. I would say players that not, operate not nine on... Of, not Nine of Spades. Mantis and uh, Mage. Mage. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Why did I just say... I'm thinking of the previous game. Yeah, That's yeah. funny. Of the previous Dave's Dutch Oven spot. Right. Um, but Mant Mantis and Mage, both generally honorable players. Um, yeah. More, Mantis is certainly the more honorable one, and just leaning on hoping Mage is also honorable, saying, like, I'm going to give you Gift of the Prescience. I want you to play it this round, rather than save it for the, you know, the game-winning round or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, play it this round. Get what you need and uh, leave my home system. And Mage obliged only to also then invade Soul's home system. So this is where I got confused with the previous game. But Mage took out two different players' home systems this game. Yep. Um, there was a brief moment where he controlled both of them mm -hmm. before uh, Nalu managed to take it back. But uh, this was another situation, though, where it was kind of like, what is L1 really accomplishing now especially i know root you were very uh kind of upset by this because again like we said earlier the real plan of attack for l1 should have been to reactivate hakan's home system and yep. take that other pds yep. that's the point they needed to get nala um, and reactivate nala's home system. oh my goodness my words today mm -hmm. whatever reactivate nala's home system thank you uh <laughs> i'm free thank you <laughs> <laughs> finally freedom uh, <laughs> No, uh, but but so Nalu did get their home system back, and now L1 is sitting in Soul's home system, and it ended up being a really tricky business for for Soul to like find a way to get their home system back. I, and I forget all the reasons why it was so like annoying, but just like the way their stuff was positioned and and all mm -hmm. the deals that they, had been made, they just had no made ships. It really awkward. They had no ships left. Yeah. Um. So basically, this is where Nalu managed to climb themselves that they got to claw their way back and they were kind of back on the running by the end of round five and going into round six um yin and l1 were the two players to stop everyone was looking at them and the, the objective on the table was 11 planets and both of them either had it or were very close to it so everyone was keeping a close watch on their planets and trying to make sure neither of them ended up with 11 by the end of the round mm -hmm. yeah uh um, uh, can, can we talk about Isara a little bit though? Because we're we're yeah. kind of getting in the late game. I realize we haven't really talked about their game. Um, sure, they were doing a lot of excessive stalling. I feel like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I I it's it's funny. It's hard to remember like what the angle was for them. I feel like yeah. their game just never really like got going in a way that like 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 uh, unlike everybody else, I don't feel like I can remember Isara making any mistakes. Like I feel like they played it yeah. straight. 
Um, there were some whereas, weird stalls, like you said. They also did something that most Ysarls don't do, and that is they were very aggressive. They had ships on the other side of the board for quite yeah. a bit of the game, which you don't see right, Ysarl yeah. do very often. Right, yeah. Normally, Ysarl, it's like, wait till the late game and then kind of unleash. But yeah, right. he, he was... In fact, this was the probably the messiest map I think I've oh, seen yeah. in the tournament of just yeah. like... Nobody even really has a slice. It's just like different just colored everywhere. plastic everywhere. I mean, especially yeah. with L1 having uh, been in two home systems with like right. random little bits of PDS that he was collecting along the way and different on j just random planets. Yep. Right. Um, but yeah, let's 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 talk about let's talk about the late game um, and getting to eleven planets. Um, so. They were blocking players with 11 planets. Now, the, the trick there was L1 actually had an alternate path. Right. Uh, and this is where, if we're talking about Asarl, this is where Asarl shows his kind of genius here. Um, because, yeah, okay, L1 needs 11 planets, Yin needs 11 planets, and everyone's watching for that. But Asarl kept his ear to the ground and saw that L1 needed to also have... Uh, ships. He, he had still not claimed the stage one of having two systems adjacent to Mechatol Rex. And by some genius, Isarl saw that uh, L1 needed for PDS, or at least just kind of correctly guessed that that's what he was going for. Yeah. And um, L1 was set up to get both of those points and had kind of like, oh, I, and he was talking a big game, right? This is where L1's like, well, I can't win. I don't have the 11 planets. It's over. Oh, well, we're going to another round, blah, right, blah, blah. Right. He's but a like bluffer. the whole time, he's he has it. He actually has the win. Although there's a world I think where Nine of Spades was actually being honest because he he fully predicted Mage. someone would manage Mage. to thwart. Mage. <laughs> Any hoozle. Uh, Mage was fully predicting someone to take out his his win. I think. Um, and Isarl was the one to see it. He took out one of his fleets next to Mechatol Rex and was actually going to take out the fourth PDS. Um, but just failed the invasion it was just like another situation where like the luck worked against him and he wasn't able to take out um the planet so at the end of the round um mage wasn't able to win but he was able to be at nine and we actually had the l1z1x isarl and the yin brotherhood all end at nine points and nalu was at eight with soul trailing at this point soul's gone like two rounds without their home system yeah they're more or less out um but but four players certainly in the running and L one, it's it's really convenient that L one managed to score that that four PDS and didn't have it taken because that's a huge factor going into round seven, um, because L one gets Imperial. So if 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 L one hadn't been able to score that four PDS, they still would have been either relying on a stage two public objective or relying on getting that four PDS and like still making it till the end of the round and scoring last, you know what I mean? Like they would be relying on the status phase, which is yep. never what you want to do when you take Imperial Imperial. You're, you're banking on winning in mm -hmm. the action phase. Mm -hmm. Um, so just very, uh, luck was on L one side, at least in that factor of just not having their PDS taken out, but, but a really smart play by SRL is to be looking for the other paths, um, even if it wasn't just for a win, it's sort of like, I just need to stop whatever points I can. So I see that he's trying to get next to Mechatol Rex. I need to take that out. I got to do something about it. Yep. Right. And, right. Yeah. And it was funny because like he didn't talk about it. He didn't ask anyone for anything. Right. He just, he just did it. Like I, I right. was really worried like leading up to that action. Like are they, do they not? We weren't no even sure if this? he saw it. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I yeah. can assist him and crush this fleet. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. He's got it. Well, I want to talk about that final moment because it is beautifully poetic. 
of this game. How does how does this yes. how does this game end? Take me there because it's right. it's, so, it's got all the uh, all of the elements of this game, <laughs> which is people making little mistakes, yeah. um, and then also the gravity rift. Right. It's perfect. So um, L1Z1X has Imperial, and everyone sees they can win right. uh, if it gets to their turn. Yeah. Um, they just need so, to score intimidate the council. It's like a stage one right. that they just didn't score. So all they got to right. do, they, they have already have. All yeah. yeah. All, they got to move. Yeah. They have fleet logistics. They got to move one ship adjacent to Mechatol Rex and then flip Imperial in mm-hmm. the same activation. Mm-hmm. So all, all that everyone has to do is they got to stop uh, L1 before their turn, either by taking out that second fleet or taking out the home system. Um, and, and their home system was almost completely empty. There was like a fighter or whatever, you know, it's right, like, there's a, right. almost nothing defending it. Um, but we had a situation where soul was trailing too much. Um, there was actually a point at which soul was trying to offer, they tried to use fleet logistics to, um, I believe it was orbital drop and then pass. Um, they decided not to do it. Um, but they were more or less saying, this all looks like king making to me. I don't want to. I don't want any part of it. Right. I'm right. more or less out of this round. I'm done. I'm not doing anything this round. Mm-hmm. So everyone had to write off any impact Soul might have, um, and Isarul couldn't quite get there. And and what even more happened was Yin jumped on a different system of um, L1s. I think the previous round, but it ended up it blocking Isarul's path. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so Yin got in the way. Asaro could have made a big attack on L1's home system, but because Yin went to take out these other points, right. they got in Asaro's way and didn't have enough to uh, to get there. Um, so with both of those activations not really pulling off enough, when it got to L1's turn, uh, they they had done this thing where they had built a they they did construction uh, the secondary of construction to put a PDS in their home system just because they were afraid of someone coming into their home system. Mm-hmm. And then on their turn, they activated um, kind of one of the furthest away systems, the beta wormhole on the opposite side of Mechatorex. They activated that mm-hmm. because what they thought they saw was an opportunity for a fighter from their home system to go through the beta adjacent to their home system and just go park right there. Right. The only other options, which everyone had been talking about, was some sort of maneuver where they have to go through the gravity rift and then they're risking it through the rift to get there. Right, but I want to like, point something out. Before before we talk about that, the situation that ended up, because if if Mage had been more prepared to just go through the gravity rift anyways, if he had picked a different system to activate, he would have been able to send like four three or four ships. different things. Yeah, yeah. Right. and right. and, right. and, and he would for have had sure would, would have gotten through. But because of the spot that he picked, there was only a single fighter that he could right. send through the well, rift for the win. Yes, a single a single ship. So what ended up happening is he he tried to move the fighter from his home system, and everyone went, uh, your home system's locked down. He right. went, oh, crap. And then he went to pull the command counter off, and they went, uh, no, bud, this is the tournament. You laid it, you played right, it. Right, Sorry. Right. And so he had to then go, yeah, oh, shoot, what am I going to send to this beta wormhole? And he basically was only allowed to send one single ship. Um, it could have been a dreadnought or it could have been any of his fighter twos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was just sort of like, okay, well, let's send a fighter. Let's see what happens. And everyone knows that if this fighter gets to the beta wormhole, he wins. He, he fleet logistics to play Imperial right. and win the game. Right. Uh, and so in a game where the, the gravity rift had already run four versus two, it had killed four ships and only two ships had survived going through the gravity rift. This was the seventh, opportunity for a ship to make it through he rolled the dice he made it through so uh it was a 4v3 in favor of the gravity, gravity rift. rift yeah but 
uh, L1 still pulled out a victory despite how mean the Gravity Rift was. <laughs> all thirsty, game. thirsty for blood. It's thirsty, thirsty for blood, but but still ended up deciding uh, deciding the victor here. Yeah. Um, cra- it was an absolutely crazy game, um, mostly because of like we said, kind of all these weird mistakes that happen when the players don't communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting phenomenon in TI that like players are watching your back and like helping you not make mistakes because they have deals on the line and they're, yeah. they're sort of invested in your success to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, disp- and, and in games like this where you're not, you make more mistakes. Now I, I, I prefer this flavor, right? I love it when there's a few more mistakes, but everyone's cutthroat and, and not making mm-hmm. all these crazy mm-hmm. long winded deals. Um, but it's just, it's, you know, we kind of ended up in the uh, similar situations, right? Like this was still a game where like there were, talks of win making there was like it wasn't anyone's guaranteed win and you know six to one half dozen the other we 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 got to the same position with two different um methods yeah yeah well yeah i i uh all three of these games were really great um this the the first two have a little more in common with each other and this one is definitely an outlier of just a different speed um there's a lot of plastic that is destroyed in this game and there's a lot of like it's interesting to talk about that at the end of the game, all they needed to do was like get in L1's way and they couldn't. And that's how right. much plastic, like that's how like Nalu did not have a lot of plastic. Soul did not have a lot of plastic. Right. Um, They've been fighting all game. Even right. And, at that point. Didn't yeah. Have a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, like most, <laughs> most players had lost a majority of their fleets. Yep. Uh, basically, Isarl had fleets and L1 had some fleets. And, uh, and like we said, Yin, Yin uh, was accidentally in the way of Asarl. That's also one of those th- cases where like Yin has to do some things in order for Yin to have a shot at winning that then is going to cancel out other players' ability to do things. It was a, it was a mess. It was yeah. a very Absolute messy, mess. crazy, wild game. And uh, it, can people watch this yet? Is it on YouTube yet? I uh, just finished rendering literally as we record this. So I'll start wow. the overnight. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So it'll be up it'll be up tomorrow morning or so if you're listening to this right when it releases. Um that game's coming soon. Um yeah. Uh I I've loved this. Um I'm actually really sad at this point. We've talked about this multiple times now, but these knockouts were us saying goodbye to players we've watched multiple games yep. of now and like yep. we're we're get, we've been getting really attached and I'm super excited for the finals, but I'm like really sad to see a bunch like at, at, so after each game I have to go into the Discord and we, we have like a special game organization <laughs> chat room with all the players that are in the game so that we can talk about just like, hey, when are people available? How can we make, you know, how can we schedule it? Uh, and after uh, after each prelim game, I was adding people to it. And after the semis games, I was upgrading people. But this was the first time I've had to start like pulling people out of it. Right. So after each game, there were like f- four people. I was completely kicking out of our fun little chat room and kind of like, <laughs> all right, goodbye. You're you're a normie again. And it's <laughs> just been like really heartbreaking, this whole process of, of you know, we lost 12 good players. Right. In the past right. And, na- and now that chat room is just uh, six people and us, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, which is... I mean, let, let's let's go ahead and say it now. The, the, so yeah. here are your six. You've got Schroeder, Unaligned Magi, um, Nine of Spades, uh, uh, Mage, um, Jaynor, and who am I forgetting? Vaunt. Vaunt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's so your, those six. Are your six. That's your six finalists. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about the programming coming up next week we are planning to do player profiles of those six players we want you all going into the finals knowing exactly what kind of players we're dealing with we're going to try to either talk to them or at least just talk about them uh, extensively of just what kind of players they are and what what we expect to see in the final game based on all the different personality types we have going into it uh, and then the week after that's episode will be a wrap-up of the the finals game uh, the finals themselves are set for April 13th Wow! at uh, 19.30 UTC. That's uh, 2.30 Central. Uh, I, I, there's, a, you know, there's multiple times I could try to come up with 12, here. 12.30 Pacific. 12.30 Pacific. Uh, you Europeans, again, 19.30 UTC is something to kind of base it off. That's like 7.30 at night. Um, we are going to live stream it. Yep. Uh, we, that's what we were running the tests for on this last uh, knockout game. But Hunter and EJ are going to do kind of a fun, lighthearted stream um, where there won't be any in hidden information or even very much like conversation from the players. There's a little bit you guys mix in, but we're trying to keep it to where the players, first off, none of the players should be watching the stream. Uh, we're we're kind of running the honor system. But even if they did, there's no way to glean any uh, information they don't already have. They'd only be distracting themselves from the game itself. Um, we're even kind of banning advice in yep. the Twitch chat. So you're welcome to come hang out and have fun, but it is certainly the less strategic approach to these games. Uh, we'll have the YouTube video that we've been doing. You know, that'll be up a couple days after uh, the game itself. But we're, you know, we're planning on it being a, a really fun huge game we've been working towards this for over six months at this point it's insane um, the, it's insane the, the signups for the tournament were last october when did uh, we so we started in january we started talking about this at gen con basically yeah yeah so, as soon as we finished gen con we wanted to start doing yeah our own, yeah our own after after so, watching the gen con tournament we were like all right so what are we gonna do and now here we are uh, all this yeah. time later uh, i want to say a little bit about the stream uh the way i would like to kind of pitch the stream to you all is it's it's more like a watch party yeah, um, because I don't it. want that the I, I don't want the finals to be decided by internet by by the hive mind, um, yep. which I know will be a bummer for some people because they just want to talk analysis the whole time. Um, I think there's a fine line personally of like things that are you just talking about how you feel about how this game is going, and then like yeah. you literally telling players like what to do. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's the line that that I will ride with like mo monitoring uh, monitoring chat. Um, thus far in the, in the last game, I didn't ban anybody from chat. I would just put people in timeout, and it would delete um, the comments that they had made that were in uh, were in question. Um, and I will be probably a pretty. Uh, I will do that a lot. Like just yeah. if, if I feel like it's not, I'm just like, uh, I, if I'm even scared of it, I might do it. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily saying that like, Oh, like you committed this big sin. Um, right. But I want to trying to secure the, the victory. We want, we want it to be deserved. And, and if there's any chance that one of the players, even if it's, we've always been, we've been afraid this whole time of doing any sort of stream because we just don't want anything. You know, what if, what if they're, player one of the players friends is watching the stream and then they're texting them information you know that's right. the stuff we're afraid of happening right. there's there's all these ways information can get back to them and so yeah. we're trying to find what is the fine line how can we how can we make it work without giving them anything that is an advantage yeah and and i'll say this like the way i probably see it going down is 
Uh, a lot of the early game and mid game is going to be very silly, and I'm probably going to miss a lot of stuff that even happens that is important. And then towards the late game, it's it's probably just going to be a feed of you just listening to those players talk to each other mostly. Right. I'm I'm gonna right. as as we get to the really tense moments at the end, I me and EJ are probably going to take a little bit of a step back and probably at most just like. Uh, you know, yell when crazy things happen. And right. that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's essentially the idea is, is it's, it's an opportunity for you to watch this game, not an opportunity for you to, for you to be in the, uh, for you to backseat drive basically. Right. right. Exactly. There we go. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. So please, please join us on April 13th to watch this finals game again. It's yeah. been, it's been a long time coming and we're, we are just Hyped. like, freaking out yeah yeah super hyped for this bum, um, bum, bum, and uh while you're waiting on that game maybe you can rate us on your favorite Ooh, uh yeah. podcast mm-hmm. app preferably itunes and apple Podcasts. they're a huge um portion of the community and huge portion of podcasting and if you rate us on there it increases our visibility and increases the visibility of twilight imperium at large which is now the 10th best game on board game geek that happened a few weeks ago but it's a big deal game and uh the more we can get people to play it the higher up on those rankings we can get it let's make let's make ti the number one game yeah um down with all the other games (laughs) down with all game down with great what is it great western trail at number nine down with great Great western Western trail Trail. you're you're going down i'm gonna find the (laughs) podcast about that show and trash it Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Space Cats Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. Uh, we post every single week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. Uh, there's also lots of other fun discussions on there. Um, please consider joining our Patreon. Our Patreon is where you can help basically produce the show at different levels. Um, if you pay $50 a month, you get to do a whole episode to yourself. Uh, if you pay $5 a month, you get to vote on upcoming episodes. I think the first episode after the tournament wrap-up is going to be uh, a Galactic Council episode. So For if you sure. want to be a part of that, $5 a month is all you have to do. Just hop in there, and you can be a part of the voting procedure to decide what our episode is going to be on April 20th. Um, also, you can join our Discord. Uh, you don't have to be a patron to be on our Discord. It's just where we have lots of fun conversations and and uh, memes, meme town, all, all sorts of things like that. What's left? Hunter Donaldson. Oh yeah. Uh, oh well, I haven't. Fi- I I didn't make my calendar. Do it. You know what I did? Hunter Donaldson, comedian. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a comedian. Uh, you can watch my clips on YouTube. Uh, oh wait wait. Uh, uh, oh, Hunter Root, Alec, plug your what? thing. Oh, yeah, plug your plug your thing. Root. Oh sure. Uh, so I'm gonna be uh, streaming some more games on on Twitch, some Twilight Imperium, and probably some other things like. Uh, root the game and uh, maybe some terraforming Mars and some other cool board games now that I have more Heck free yeah. time than I used to have uh, yeah. my twitch channel is root 711 you can also follow me on Twitter at iroot 711 I'll notify Ooh, people on awesome. there as well I love it uh, I hey, also hey thank- also you can follow me on Twitter at uh, hunbunsun and you can follow you post on Twitter yes well, I'm starting to. Well, no, I haven't okay. in years, but I'm going to start. <laughs> uh, but you can also follow my Instagram at uh, HungryHunty, H-U-N-T-Y. Hunter is the stupidest Instagram so, I've ever so seen my in my Instagram, entire life. So this is my Instagram. So I, uh, I take pictures of, uh, like, I go to restaurants, and I'll eat at a restaurant, and then I take a picture, like a nice picture with a filter, but it's only of the plate after I've eaten all the food. So, like... <laughs> The food's gone and it's like garbage and like maybe it's some like, <laughs> yeah, there'll be like a pickle I didn't eat like sitting there. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a, it's, I'm a foodie. So that's kind of my foodie thing. 
Right, that's his foodie thing. Uh, I want to thank our space kitties. I want to thank Kraken, Billy Krueger, T.G. Welch, Yin for Life, Patience is a Virtue, Dursta, Naderade, and Jim Bob. Holy cow, do we have some space kitties going yep. right now. Yeah. Uh, hey, can I throw a play of the week at you guys? Please do. Fast? I know Please last do. week was a, this Imperium Life, but this one's this one's a good one. This one's brought to you by Snorcerer. Snorcerer, thank you for the play of the week. If you want to get your Great play of the name. week on the show. It is a good good name. Uh, if you want to get your play of the week on uh, the show, email us at spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Here we go. It's a four-player game with Ghosts, Arborek, Excha, and the Federation of Soul. At the end of round five, uh, at this point, Ghosts has War Sons, thanks to Ixthian Artifact and Tech Skips. Soul has Mechatol and uh, just barely got the planets back in his slice from Ghosts and Arborek. And Extra, well, they have six PDS and have never left their slice, so no one cares. Uh, the first public objective two flips. Conquer the weak. Control one planet that is in another player's home system. Arborek has the first action. Looking around, Hill Kalish and a Ghost Dreadnought are in range of the Arborek homeworld. And there is a War Sun and a Dreadnought in the Ghost's home system. Arborek does the only thing that makes sense and moves his two Cruiser 2s with Latani Warrior 2s away to reinforce a system he took in Soul Slice, leaving Nestfar with only six ground forces and two PDS behind. Ghost goes next. He can't believe what just happened. Nestfar is barely defended. He activates it. Extra. Wait! Doesn't Arborek have your ceasefire? Ghosts. Oh, man. We've been activating each other's systems for like three rounds, and he never used it. I completely forgot. Arborek. Oh, don't worry. I still won't use it. Everyone is confused and asks Arborek why he's going to let that happen. Arborek says, by the end of this turn, I'll have a war son defending my homeworld. I think I'm okay with that. Ghost brings his entire fleet and then checks to see what ground forces he can bring. Arborek, smiling, says, you can bring the three in your home system and the one with your flagship. Ghost realizes that he needs all of them. Three in the war son, one in the hill Kalish. Soul and Extra goad him into going for it. They want to see what Arborek is planning. Ghosts commits. Arborek plays experimental battle stations. Ghost pleads for a sabotage or for the Extra to stop it, but he doesn't have any resources to do it with. Two hits from experimental battle stations. Maneuvering jets get sabotaged. One hit on each dreadnought. The two PDS fire. Two hits. He can't risk sustaining the War Suns with three ground forces, so only one dreadnought down, one hit on the hill Kalish. Direct hit. There's only uh, there's one less ground force to worry about now. So during the invasion step, Arborek wishes him luck as he plays Bunker. The ghosts beg for a sabotage. Arborek smiles, shows a second sabotage, and reminds ghosts the others have already been played. Uh, Extra gets a support for the throne somewhere in there, and then there's bombardment. Four on a three, one on a five, four hits. Actually, I'm confused now reading this because I thought he just played Bunker. I'm reading this in, in real time. I'm confused. Whatever. <laughs> Space Cannon Defense, two hits. Uh, he cannot use Majin because of the War Sun. It doesn't matter. Arborek wins with no casualties. He now has three ground forces on his home system, thanks to Dax of Animators, with three next uh, set to return on his next turn with Latani Warrior 2 and a War Sun perfecting Nesfar. But wait, there's more. Uh, Krius only has a space dock and no units. Soul sets himself up to grab it with a single carrier 2 with four fighters and two ground forces, but still needs two actions to Warfare to actually take it. And Extra can't reach it, but no one noticed Arborek has two Cruiser 2s on the other side of the Hyperlane that could reach with two Latani Warrior 2. So Arween Tools and a Trade Good later means there are six Latani Warriors sitting on Krius, all while Arborek holds Krius's ceasefire. <laughs> 
wild. A, a, a crushing round defeat for the uh, for the ghosts yeah. and in favor of the Arbrek. That's uh, late game Arbrek, man. Just kind of like the... That late game Arbrek. <laughs> Everybody knows about late game Arbrek. It's just... <laughs> Everybody lives in fear of right. that late game Arborek. That just, you've all seen it dozens of times. Just yeah, your you roots, always see that. Get out of oh, yeah. <laughs> Root. Get out of Get off of my Root. show. How dare you. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.